Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you? If people send you the same generic conversation starters, they message everyone else. Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
Hello and welcome to the Perpetual Motion Show with me, Joe Dwyer, and Stuart Diebel. We're coming to you live from the Water Rats, our first ever live broadcast, Stu. And probably our last. <laughs> How you been, mate? Yeah, good, mate, yeah. I feel like people have invaded my room for the night, but um, as long as you leave a tip at the bar, we're all good, aren't we? <laughs> we are indeed, we are indeed. Right, uh, we've got a couple of special guests coming up today. We've got- Very special. <laughs> We've got Nick Corbin starting. Uh, he's going to come up in a minute. We're going to uh, have a chat, play a few songs in between. Should we give a bit of background about Nick? I think we'll save it till he's up here, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Not Nick's really. from Norwich, so be careful with him. Uh, and and live audience, not livestock, thank you. Here we go. Sorry, he's Nick. He's got an audience. Here we yeah. go. I've made them laugh. We're already there, mate. Come on. <laughs> um, yeah, and after that, uh, we've got Jeff Dean, who's going to be uh, joining us and reading a couple of extracts from his book. Is he? he well, is. that's some book and all. Done all right with that, Jeff, ain't you? Good, good stuff, good stuff. <laughs> right, yeah, so we're going to hear one more track uh, while Nick makes his way to the stage. This is David Ruffin with Pieces of a Man. Now, now, for pieces, pieces of a man now, no 
Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the stage, Mr. Nick Corbin. How you doing, Nick? All right, mate? Yeah, good, mate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. thanks for having me. That's all right. What's been up to? Uh, wiping a little boy's um, oh, yeah. ass. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's pretty much it this that year. That is the level of the Perpetual Motion show in a nutshell. So. Oh, well, that's why I thought I'd start yeah. with that. Yeah. It's going to be one of them fucking afternoons. <laughs> no swearing, by the way, which I've <laughs> No, no, Curtis says you can swear as long as you warn people about it. That's what he told me okay, anyway, yeah. Oh, really? All right. Well, well we're going to swear, so just be careful. Um Nick, I was thinking earlier, the last time uh, we uh, spoke on radio, um, a worldwide pandemic started, didn't it? About three weeks later, so. Yes, yeah. Well, it's been a while. It's yeah. been a while, hasn't it? But hopefully uh, we'll have slightly better luck this time. Yeah. Um, what's been happening then? Obviously, three years has passed. Um, what, other than, you know, having a little boy, what uh, what have you been doing? Uh, I released a solo album in, in 2020, and then... Because we we were hoping to, I was hoping to release it with my former label, but um, that didn't work out. So I started my own label, and then we had we had sort of the means to release music. We realised producing vinyl was quite cheap then, um, and and we had a bit of an audience who were buying our stuff. So so my wife Sophie, she's a graphic designer and a DJ, and she said, well. Uh, I'll help you with this label. So we called called it Big AC Records after uh, a, a sort of popular song from my previous band. And um, originally I'd, I'd used it as a vehicle for me to get my co-writes out into the world. And um, yeah, so I've been sort of experimenting with that really and, and a bit of songwriting and releasing some of my own stuff. But. So do you do a bit of writing on, on all of the songs you release or is it just sort of as, as and when you maybe do a bit of collaboration? So, uh, how we started it was we'd, with each artist, we release a seven inch vinyl and one of the sides had to be a co-write by myself because I'd, I didn't want it to be the, the case where as the label, I was taking loads of money off the artist. So what we, what we did was split everything 50, 50 after we'd made back what we'd spent, um, but the artist maintains like the, the master license, but, um, yeah, it, it means that I'm, I'm not a very good businessman. So, so we, we haven't done very well out of it, but at least there's a songwriting royalty in there, you know? Yeah. And um, is, so is that something you still do now? You, you sort of write on everything or was that? Just... Um, yeah, I try, but, um, for this yeah this year becoming a dad it's made things a bit more difficult less free time um but um yeah it's always it's it's a nice sort of brand and a nice like community that we've that we've started with it and we've done these last year we did a tour of of our sort of soul review show and um and that seemed to like really generate some sort of momentum behind what we were doing uh so I, I don't. I don't really know what the future holds in store for it, but it's yeah, it's good fun and it means I can work with people. You know, 
Yeah, and you've got your third anniversary gig coming up. Is it the 30th of Yeah, 30th, 30th of November, November. Uh, Oslo in Hackney. It's right by Hackney Central. I'm glad you said Oslo and Hackney, not Hackney and Oslo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Struggle to get a few out there, mate. But, uh... <laughs> and what is it? So yourself and everyone from the label playing? or Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, Kami Love and Emma Noble, who both used to sing backing vocals with my old band, New Street Adventure, and then uh, Abby Farrell, who we've done a couple of singles with as well. Um, <clears throat> before the way we've done it is we have a we have a band and all the singers on stage at the same time so we'd kind of alternate between lead and backing vocals whereas this year there'll be a bit of that but also everyone's going to have like their own set as well so we've got additional backing vocalists and a horn section and it's going to be a bit of a bigger kind of um production this year lovely so you get your value for money in terms yeah, of stage time i think so yeah it's, it's like a two-hour set so it's pretty yeah it's it's a it's a big one. <laughs> <laughs> right. So you're going to play us a few tracks. Um, yeah. You can play us a solo one first. Yes. Um, I, uh, I spotted, I spotted somebody who actually played on the record um, <laughs> over in the corner there. So, uh, oh, Bax. Yeah. yeah, it was Bax. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, Mick, I'll play this one for you because uh, it's a, a song called Deeper in Love. I was lucky enough to have Mick play. It's Mick Talbot for the radio, so. everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Good old Mick. So, uh, yeah, um, I hope, hope you like this one. Must have been something I said to convince you to stay Or maybe there was something I did that stopped you looking the other way It's as if nature planned it, we got this understanding Didn't take too long to reach so unconditional But underneath it all It's hard to hide my disbelief That every day I'm falling Deeper in love It's every day I'm falling Deeper in love We'll find a common ground When changes get us down And things keep getting in the way When all seems impossible Let's be unstoppable I'm just so proud that I can say Every day I'm falling Deeper in love Yes, every day I'm falling Deeper in love, yeah, 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 yeah. Deeper in love, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Always deeper in love. There must have been something I said or did. How do I deserve a love like yours? You got me smiling more now than I ever did 
so glad you opened up the door Cause you're always understanding When the world gets too demanding Satisfaction's our reach When my confidence is low It's you who helps it grow And all the while I do believe Every day I'm falling Deeper in love Every day I'm falling Always deeper in love Yeah, 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 yeah Deeper in love Always deeper in love I'm actually quite glad my wife's not here because I'd have that awkward conversation on the train home. Like, Nick's written that for his wife. Like, what have you ever done for me? That wasn't written for... No, <laughs> no, it was. It was, it was. I thought that was going somewhere else in that conversation. <laughs> Nick's been here first. Yeah. Um, obviously, we just touched on the third birthday party. Um, you said there are a few tickets left. Where can people get hold of him? Our website, bigacrecords.com. Lovely. Um, looking at the label, it, it's obviously you, and it seems to be the majority of the artists are female. Is that is that a conscious decision? Is that like something that you think women aren't represented enough in music, or is it just that you prefer soul music sung by women? What? Um, yeah, it's a good question. Actually, I. It's just been that that is who I've met that is up for collaborating. Um, there are a couple of guys that I've worked with as well but i would say that a lot of a lot of guys seem to have more of an ego about their about their songs and collaborating and writing whereas what, um, like billy sullivan <laughs> <laughs> no nah, he's all right um yeah i just the girls that i've met so abby for example i met her at a jam night just before um just before the pandemic started, but she was singing Jocelyn Brown, somebody else's guy. But we were actually talking before that and I hadn't heard her sing. And it was just, you know, you don't know if someone's going to be any good. And she just wowed the whole audience. And, um, and it, the pandemic sort of created this environment where we were sort of, you know, everyone had more time on their hands. We were writing. And then, after that, the next choice, like with Kami Love, she she sung with New Street Adventure, and we always used to play this song of hers, Rebel. And I thought we've got to get that out somehow. We actually had the drums recorded from a session from our first album that didn't end up in, like being on the album. And um, yeah, that that's just it, really. Like I, I do approach people, but I I would say that on the whole, a lot of the guys I've approached have been a bit more distant, whereas the the girls that we've worked with and there are a couple of others that I have projects sort of ongoing with are maybe just open to collaborating more I don't, I don't know if it's a general thing or not really um Carmi that um Rebel sold really well didn't it it flew out and was gone 
sort of pretty quickly. How many, <laughs> sorry, uh, how many copies do you print up of each sort of single or album? Originally it was 500 and with, with Kami's, it sold out uh, before release. So pre-order sold out for some reason. It just, um, yeah, it, it got taken on like by the soul. Did a mum buy 400 of them or something? <laughs> yeah. Well, there's actually this record dealer who um, Sophie, my wife, had, had sort of, she knew him from like various gigs that they'd done together DJing. And he took 25 copies at wholesale. And someone sent me a message before the release saying he was selling them for a hundred quid. And if he, and if that was all of his 25 copies and we sort of outed him on social media without naming him because I get that it goes on and stuff, but yeah, but 25 out of a small label. We told him we were selling for 12 quid. We do him a wholesale for seven. And, and if he's, if he's doing that, that's actually more, if if he sold them twenty five copies for hundred quid, I don't know if he did, but that is more money than we earned and that Kami yeah. earned off yeah. that whole record. So, um, yeah, Derek, what's his name? If you <laughs> if you're listening, yeah. if hope, you're in the room. Yeah, yeah. I hope oh. the uh, the Pontins buffet has served you well, mate. I don't care. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, no, it's, no, it's no, not no, it's not right. No, it's not, not right. In a, not yeah. any sort of yeah. you know because it's a community thing that yeah we're all involved in. Thing, you know, like, we I hate the idea of an artist thinking that I owe them money and that I'm not being fair and stuff because that is the worst possible thing I think you hear from artists and everything. I didn't have it with my experience. Like I, I'm I'm lucky, but a lot of people have had awful deals with labels and that is what we wanted to avoid. And because we've chosen to go that way, it means that we don't make any money. But if someone is screwing you over. Control like thing, isn't it? You're, yeah. You know, because I know obviously the label you use with New Street Adventure is a different thing, but when you got that control of your own label and someone's still taking a liberty like that, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That was It was a pretty tough one to take that. Right, so yeah, moving on, we are going to play a song from New Street Adventure, um, and then we're going to talk a little bit more about them. But uh, yeah, this is on our front doorstep. That's right. So yeah, it's the first song from our first album, which is 10 years old next year, which is amazing. Yeah. front doorstep there's no red white and blue only pride in easy pickings as the mob are running through and it's mirrored in their prizes as they're sizing up the loot like it counts for nothing on our front doorstep there's a lawless attack when they're gathered in the hundreds it ain't easy fighting back And with the stones they crawl from under Resting off the beaten track They count for nothing It's 
Still I see no shame in them, just fame for them Nothing but fun and games to them Don't it feel much better when you can't see the worst of it The world is so much deeper than any bandage likes to share I guess we still have time to care There's no moment to seize Just a broken-hearted nation Cruelly brought down to its knees And the smashing grabbers Seem to have us reeling in disease Like it counts for nothing Still I see no shame in them Just fame for them Nothing but fun and games to them Feel much better when you can't see the worst of it The wound is so much deeper Than any bandage likes to share But we still have time to care And when your game's intimidation Mercy stumbles in your way rest of us are left to wonder We wonder how much more we can take Hold tight, don't make a sound There's still loving to be found Hold tight, don't make a sound There's still loving to be found Hold tight, don't make a sound there's still loving to be found Having our times in a crazy town But there's still loving And I see no shame in them Just fame for them Nothing but funny games to them And it feels much better When you can't see the worst of it The world is so much deeper Than any bandage likes to share But we still have time to care I suppose the fact that you've played your debut single has sort of answered this question, but how do you feel looking back on the body of work that you, that you did with New Street and sort of, you know, retrospectively, what, what, what do you make of it now? I'm still really proud of it. I think uh, some of the lyrical content in the first record makes me cringe a little bit because it's the person that I was at that time is has has just aged like a fine wine. <laughs> that's normal, uh, isn't it? Ten it, years down the line. Yeah. Nick, Nick, one worry about it, there's a picture of me and a pair of yellow cords from when I was 21. So I'd love me. to see that. No, you really <laughs> don't. You would, yeah. But no, I, I'm really proud of it. I, I think probably what I, what I've just mentioned would, would maybe not be that apparent to, to other people. It's just, it's just one of those, you know, but, um, yeah, it's it's something that I I feel connected with people and there must be a reason for that. So yeah, I'm really proud of it. And people still want to hear the songs now. So Yeah, yeah so do you, do you still play them when you play live? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I when I first started the solo thing, I was like, no, I'm just gonna play 
I'm, I'm going to do new stuff. I think being a solo artist is quite different to being in a band. I, I had this sort of romantic like idea that, oh yeah, Nick's going to break free solo and everyone will follow him. And, and whereas really like a dude's name is just not memorable, like a, like a band name. And no matter how bad the band name is, I mean, New Street Adventure, what the hell does it mean to most people? But it's memorable. And there are a lot of people I still meet who's still like, oh, what are you doing now? And I was, and they don't know. And, but maybe it's because what I'm doing now is terrible, but uh, <laughs> I don't I think, think it is. It is. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I remember when we spoke before, you'd sort of said that you were wary of playing those songs because sort of the reaction they got was so different to the new stuff that people didn't know. Do you feel that sort of bridge, that gap has bridged a little? Yeah. And I've accepted that, um, that what I've done is just in, as important as what I'm doing now. And, um, if I have songs that people want to hear, then they deserve to hear them. Um, and I, and I love playing them. So yeah, it's, it's something that will definitely continue. And, uh, and I'm, I'm not giving too much away here, but there's going to be some exciting stuff happening next year around the 10th anniversary. So yeah, we can all read so between those lines. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we'll see. <laughs> Do you think with new street adventure, uh, did you think that it could have gone on so much further or was there a reason why it split when it did? I always had this, this idea that it should be a band and a collaborative thing. And looking back on it, it was my solo project that I was desperate to get other people to care about as much as I did. And we constantly had members revolving. I was probably too much of a control freak, wanted the songs to be my songs and wanted I wanted it to be a a projection of me as well as everybody clubbing in. And and that probably just wasn't going to work um much longer than it did. And at the at that point, everybody in the band had got a bit too comfortable with, you know, making a bit of money on the weekends, uh, but not really putting much effort in other than that. And um and I don't, I don't begrudge them for that. Like we're still mates, but none of them play music anymore, really. Like, really? Uh, which is, I think, testament to sort of their like mindset yeah. at the time. It's a testament to the time as well that there's so yeah. little money in music. It's even yeah. worse now than what it was ten years ago. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is really well, just poor, isn't it? Yeah, but I suppose it vindicates the decision that you made, doesn't it? To the fact that none of them still play sort of breaking it up was I think was so. Yeah. I think, I think it was definitely what needed to happen at the time. And I needed to go through this journey of, I guess, I guess sort of reflecting on what I'd done and seeing that it meant something to people and it continues to mean something to people. And, and perhaps there's a, a, a way that it can keep going in some way. Um, yeah, I, it's, it's 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 just it's an interesting sort of time in my life so uh it's nearly five years now or nearly is it yeah nearly six years yeah yeah that is quite some time isn't <laughs> yeah. it so it feels like last year yeah <laughs> i think most things do you know what i mean chelsea winning the leagues felt like last year <laughs> which time the way that's going jesus championship next year lads <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you'll be you'll be down. Yeah. You'll you'll be in the first round of the FA Cup next year, the way you lot are going. QBR, you know what I mean? Right. Um 
but we're going to sort of go back to to moving forward, um, and you're going to play us one of your one of your more recent releases. Yeah, yeah. So I I recorded two songs at my friends um, Kitty, Daisy, and Lewis. They're, they've got an analog studio in Kentish Town, and um, and we yeah we did these two songs. I've got the I've got the seven inch at the back there. Uh, I don't know which one to play first. I think I'll play Feeling Kind of Lucky, which is the the lead single. Can't get enough of these blue skies I guess I got up on the right side It's so good to see the sunshine All bright and breezy in my mind's eye Like I've awoken from the sweetest dream Somehow stumbled on a perfect scene I sense that everything will go my way Feeling kind of lucky today Lucky today I walk round with a smile on my face Spring in my step as it all falls into place This opportunity is all mine Drinking it in like a fine wine I got an inkle in the good things wait Around the corner so I won't hesitate I'm gonna make it happen, come what may I'm feeling kind of lucky today Can't put my finger on it Somehow I've gone and done it I don't know why it turned out this way But I'm feeling kind of lucky today Lucky today lucky today can't put my finger on it somehow i've got it daddy i don't know why it turned out this way but i'm feeling kind of lucky today lucky today Lovely bit of falsetto there, Nick. Do you want to hear my falsetto? Falsetto. Um, so obviously, those of us that are lucky enough to be in the room, there are records at the back that people can buy. But for people listening in, um, where can they where can they head to pick up? 
uh, bigacrecords.com that's our site or, or my Bandcamp uh, Nick Corbin dot, I don't know what it is Nick Corbin on Bandcamp <laughs> <laughs> um, have you got any other releases in the in the pipeline then so we're working with a band called We Are Wonder 45 well that's their Instagram sorry the band's just called Wonder 45 they're um, a sort of it's a bit of a like session musician super group I'd say um, without doing disservice to them like the they've all played on some amazing sort of soul and, and kind of um, yeah, soul and funk stuff like the bassist Holly, who he, he is the uh, the producer as well. He's played with like monophonics and like, like big bands from the U S and um, the, the lead singer Jess or one of the lead singers, she, she's in Noel Gallagher's band. Like she's sort of, he's, he's like, I think she the does. one that plays the scissors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or is she the she, singer? She does, uh, she does, Sing back in vocals. I'm making it up. Someone actually plays scissors. Is that right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it weren't random. <laughs> I don't think she plays the scissors. I think she, yeah, she plays percussion, keys, and um, and she does back in vocals as well. She's amazing. And, and her husband is also, yeah, yeah. he's a singer on, in the band as well. And we're doing the vinyl releases for their, their next two singles. So one's out in January. There's a digital single out this week um, or next week, sorry, 21st. And, uh, yeah, yeah, they're 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 great. What um, what do you? F- I mean, Jalen Nagondo, Nagonda is um obviously become this big super. You know, yeah, it's pretty much nailed that sort of you know pretty similar market to what your what, what's your take on all that? I think he's amazing. Yeah. Like, I, I we it's the voice as much as anything, isn't it? If not more. Yeah, he he. We saw him at a jazz cafe last week or the week before, and um, they only had a four piece band. Cause he's a great guitarist as well. He's, I think he's the best singer I've seen live. Like I've, I'd, I'd, I'd seen Duran Jones and the Indications. I thought he was unbelievable, but I think Jalen like seems to have this this next level. And um, and yeah, I mean, what they're doing, Daptone. That we, the song I just played. I said we we did it all analog, and because I wanted to experiment with it, but I realised how hard it is to record that way because the musicians have got to be amazing. You've got to be a great singer. Yeah, so live They've, take as much as anything. Yeah, exactly. And you've got to have, you've got to know how to use the the tracks that you've got. You know, there are only 16 tracks on, on the tape machine we were yeah. using. And, um, and we produced it ourselves. So we were kind of, I, I think next time, if I did it again, I'd do it slightly differently, but yeah, I, I think Daptone have got that whole thing nailed and his voice and the songwriting is just, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, We're never going to compete with it, but no. we do our own thing, you know. You'll never see him in the jazz cafe again either, will you? No, I think like it's Coco this, next yeah, he's doing, yeah. yeah, in April. But it's nice to see an artist like that come from that, you know, that background and go from them small venues because so many artists get put in, you know, they get the right deal and so they, they're already, they play two, three gigs in small venues. It feels more organic watching that grow, you know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um no, it, it's brilliant. And it you just sort of take, you take a lot of kind of inspiration and, and a lot of confidence that there are people that and want to listen to that. Well, yeah, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know about for me, but maybe, maybe for someone else, but yeah. um, yeah, but just that there are audiences for that yeah. type of music. Yeah. Yeah. You know? he, yeah. Cause, cause he's, <clears throat> you know, soul music is the root of it all. You know, yeah. Yeah. For exactly. all of us. Yeah. Unless you're obviously into Def Leppard. <laughs> 
<laughs> but you wouldn't be in here, would you? <laughs> You'd be at rugby. <laughs> Don't worry about me, we'll crack on, yeah? <laughs> All in the edit. <laughs> Slaughter. Um, so how has being a musician sort of changed the way that you run the label? Because obviously I'm assuming most people that run labels aren't musicians. What, what sort of effect has that had? I, I think everything that we put out, I, I sort of know whether I, I try and guide it towards it being the sound and the structure and the, the sort of thing that our fans would like, I suppose. And, but whether, whether I'm the best person to do that, I, I don't know, but if we've, we've have some very loyal fans who will buy the, the, Records we, copies at wholesale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, I I still don't really know what I'm doing, to be honest, but I don't think that's a bad thing. I think from the outside and when people have come to the live shows, it's something that that they want to be a part of. And, and um, yeah, it's just about doing something nice that is re- reflected by having a great audience who want to engage with it and... Um, yeah, and who are rooting for you, I suppose. But uh, but yeah, the the musician side of things, like I guess I I'm sort of I create the demos for the recordings that we do at home. So I I could play a bit of bass, a bit of keys, do the backing vocals and stuff, and then we'll take that into the studio. So there's a bit of pre-production from my side, I guess. But um, yeah, I suppose that's how it how it helps being a musician there. And is, I'm assuming because you work with them, you don't sort of, there's never any sort of conflict between people. People want sort of more control of it. Otherwise. Um, yeah. I, mean, I guess we haven't really done enough for that to have happened yet. Cause we, we still haven't put that many records out and it's with, with the artists we've worked with they're at the beginning of their journeys, I suppose. And um, yeah, things like that. You, you wouldn't, again, I wouldn't want to put something out that someone wasn't happy with. And you always try and find a, a middle ground that, that will still work, I suppose. So, uh, yeah. So I suppose you have to be happy with it as well, because ultimately it's got your name on it as, as well as theirs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So far it's been fine from that point of view. <laughs> Nick, sorry, Joe. Nick, I just want to know what's your influences, your main influence from your past and your main influences at the moment? From the past, like I I grew up listening to like Bobby Womack and Curtis Mayfield, there and yeah, Marvin Gaye, Stevie Wonder, Aretha. That was that was what was on in the car all the time for my dad. Um, and now, yeah, I again, there's like you mentioned, Jalen and Gonda. There's there's so much good soul being made. It's kind of a funny genre because there are artists that do something completely different with it which kind of isn't what I want to do with it. I I think it is a retro genre, really. Like there there are people that take it somewhere else, but I still think uh, there are good chapters to be written. You know, there are still interesting people who have great voices, write great songs. Music, if it's done it right. Is, yeah, but yeah. Even, so. even with technology and stuff, you know, you can drop in certain instruments beats yeah yeah exactly yeah so i i think i still don't think i've kind of scratched the surface of what i want to do in in terms of getting the influences from the past in yet if that makes sense um i do i like a lot of the the modern stuff that's being made and i sort of take a lot from the 
production and like songwriting and stuff. On that drill stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but there's good things in all that, you know, grime, drill. I heard something the other day that was about, um, it was like social consciousness, but you wouldn't want to meet a geezer, do you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> Especially with that hood on, you scared the fucking life out of me. Oh, God. <laughs> right. We're going to hear the fourth song next, which is Time Alone, which is something you don't get with a 10-month-old baby. Yeah? Not much of it. <laughs> um, yeah, I wrote this one. Uh, again, it was that kind of lockdown period. And really, it was it was written from, like, Sophie and I, we'd just always talk about the label and, like, what we'd... And, and like, it, it sort of became a, impossible to escape from the social media thing, the promotion thing, the admin. And yeah, so the, the song was about trying to find this sort of space where we could just sort of be us, I suppose. Where do we go? When we need some time alone. might sound crazy this comes between us in every given time or place it's never just you and me like it's supposed to be we let these moments go to waste I just want to be wrapped round your finger Away from the prying eyes and the blinking lights And I've still got desire within But this anxiety won't give in No, it won't give in So where do we go? When we need some time alone Don't want to take you for granted Don't want us to go stale Said I was here for the long run I won't forgive myself if we fail What if we broke from the madness Take a risk and be free Let's embrace the consequences Whatever they may be Where do we go? When we need some time alone Where do we go? I think we need some time alone Yeah, we need some time alone Dreams of lunacy But what's in store for you and me Endless schemes and dirty tricks Let's just ignore them, get on quick Oh, cause I just want to 
be with you and dance around our living room and no distractions no intrusions turn the lights down low and lose ourselves i may be the stubborn kind but i can change and maybe we can find a new solution i just want to know where do we go When we need some time alone Where do we go? I think we need some time alone Where do we go? When we need some time alone Right, that was wonderful. Um, so we're going to wrap up quickly because I'm aware we're we're running out on time, and I'm sure you've got to get back as Sophie's away this weekend. No, I'm fine. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, okay. <laughs> well, in that case, you can stay. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Jeff. <he's, laughs> yeah. So, quick mention for Sophie, your wife. She's um part of the DJ and duo Noble and Heath, and um, that's right. Yeah, they play some of the sort of coolest gaffs in you know getting in with a faith mob, which. It's not, you know, they, they see something, you know, they're, because we know Boys Home was one of those, you know, sort of cooler than our thing. And um, you've got to do something a little bit special to sort of catch their attention. So, yeah. Speak about her a little bit. I think they, so they started my 30th birthday party. Sophie organized like a surprise, and her and Emma just thought, let's be DJs on the night. And a friend of ours, Dean Chalkley, who's a photographer, was there. And he was like, you two are great. You should, you should do some gigs. And he booked them for a thing he was putting on. And then it sort of went from there. And I think because they, they don't take themselves too seriously, but they play great music, it's, it's honest. They don't, they don't care about playing something that other DJs might not play. Yes. They don't care about playing floor fillers or obscure stuff they just play what they love um and they've done really well they're in stockholm at the moment like doing doing a gig uh they did a gig last night i got sent a video at two o'clock in the morning of emma dancing on a table with the (laughs) bounce on the bar like trying to get her to come off emma i love you but come on (laughs) (laughs) um and but yeah yeah they're they're doing really well and and also they managed to get like amazing guests on their radio show as well like they had Jalen and Gonda on for the whole two hours they've had Gabriel's Duran Jones Mama's Gun Lee Fields tons of amazing people and so I'm I'm really proud of her yeah no I mean I remember booking a pair of them and away from the numbers and uh I'd had a couple and uh (laughs) one of the one of the decks wasn't working and I went to move a lead and your your wife, she just smashed my hand. <laughs> Don't you go near that. You know, you know, so I thought, well, I'm just scared. God knows what she yeah. does to Nick when That's he gets That's why I'm, I'm glad she's away. Or maybe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, go on, Joe. <laughs> I've lost my train of thought. I was going to say uh, <laughs> We haven't got Tom, the producer here. You could have all seen Tom today, but Tom couldn't make it. He's phoned in sick. He phoned in sick, oh. yeah. And... uh 
So I can't actually sort of embarrass them in front of a live audience, which I try and do on every radio show. <laughs> but uh, Tom, get well soon. Um, right, so we're going to wrap up. So just to uh, just to sort of go over, we've got the third birthday coming up, which yeah. tickets are available from BigACRecords.com. That's right, yeah. At Oslo in Hackney. It's the right way around. And yeah, so it's featuring all the all the artists on the label. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's going to be a great gig. We've sold a load of tickets, but there are some more left because it's a, a slightly bigger venue than the 100 Club that we did last time. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be brilliant. I remember what I was going to ask you. <laughs> <laughs> when you said about Dean, the Phono 45, just talk, talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, he got approached by a clothing brand called Sunspell they they wanted to get they wanted him to do a project for them and they said you can do whatever you want it's got to be based on music and the idea he had was to get a group of musicians in the studio who'd never met before write and record a song in two days and uh and release it on vinyl and um and that's where I came in with the label. But then he said, look, Nick, I'd really like you to be a part of it as well. And um, a couple of the guys I'd, I had actually worked with before, but but yeah, a few of us sort of knew each other, but we hadn't all worked together as a collective. And um, yeah, it was really fun. There's a nice film of it. Um, and we've got, yeah, we've still got some copies left. Uh yeah, it was a song called So Pure. Laville is the, the lead singer. He's actually on The Voice now, this series. Oh, really? Um, yeah, so I had to watch that the other day, which was uh, pretty pretty excruciating. Well, he did great. And he got, he's on, um, what, what's he called from the Black Eyed Peas? William? No. Um, Will I Am. Will I Am. Will, the I can't say Will, Will I Am. Will I Am. Yeah, he's on Will I Am's team. Yeah. Um, and good luck to him. I hope it, I hope he goes great. But God, watching some of the, the sort of, bewildered people on there before I was just like he's going to cruise by and um, yeah he did <laughs> right well Nick thank you very much for joining us um, you're going to play one final song for us and then enjoy the rest of your afternoon yeah so as I mentioned earlier uh, it's called Big AC Records because of of this song I guess so it's a, a song that I wrote about the first time my dad took me to a Northern Soul all-nighter and his nickname when we were younger is the Big AC and it's kind of an ironic nickname. So, uh, yeah, it's a bit of a tribute to, to the scene and, to, and a thank you to him. Standing here would be a waste of time You said we'll go to a place when no one's hurt You dance to the music, not just the words And we lose ourselves in clumsy footwork And any way you like is fine But from all that I can see There don't seem to be no one looking at me We're just a mixed bang minority Say, come and have a listen to the old sound system Where you're not gonna hear the same old songs And the lights won't be blinding your eyes You'll be taking a ride on a brand new type With no fear of being cut down to size You said the soul in this room, it will fill you up and the 45 spins, you'll say, please don't stop that beat 
Well, that's how you made it for me. Well, they sold to my underground. Is where we passed initiation to the new street sound approved by stranger, stranger than your strangest dreams. And like it or not, we're now part of the scene with an influence of us. You know, I never thought I'd fall in love this fast. I guess we're just the kind of people who make this thing last. We made it our goal to be saviors of soul, and you know. When you're on the right track, you're not gonna hear the same old songs And the lights won't be blinding your eyes You'll be taking a ride on a brand new type With no fear of being cut down a size You set the soul in this room, it will fill you up And the 45 spin, you'll say, please don't stop that beat That's how you made it for, ain't no doubt that I'm so proud that I'm in next to you. And JJ's at the back door screaming, please let me in. Don Thomas running late yelling, come on train. And Curtis Mayfield always put words in my mouth. So wherever you lead, I will follow you right to the end. You're not gonna hear the same old songs and the lights won't be blind in your eyes you'll be taking a ride on a brand new type with no fear of being cut down a size you set the soul in this room it will fill you up and the 45 spins just confirm what i already knew that i only want to be like you yeah Thank you, everyone. Uh, go and get yourself a drink. We're reconvening 20 minutes and a massive thank you to Nick for doing that. Cheers, mate.
to the face radio.
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com.
Now, for the second guest. Who we got? Who we got on stage with us? Mr. Jeff Dean. Jeff Dean. Welcome. Saturday night beneath the plastic palm trees with Jeff. Jack and Nora, here we go. How have you been, mate? Yeah, I'm well. Well in the pink. How are you? I can't complain. Can't complain. Yeah, yeah Nick Corbin was good. Liked him. Thought it was great. Very good. Always, always good, is Nick? Yeah. Always good. Yeah. So, yeah, thanks again, Nick. So, Jeff, you're going to read from your uh, autobiography to us, but from well, not, your autobiography. It's not an autobiography. No? Not really, no. Nah, Sto- nah. It's a collection of stories about you. It's a collection of stories. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. yeah. It's so not- it's a book about himself involved in <laughs> well, stories. Well, it's also about a lot of people that I've known <laughs> along the way, really. Sometimes I'm just a bystander to uh, what's going on. But as well as a memoir, I also think that in many ways it's like a self-help book as well. Because, <laughs> like, the more you buy, the more I help myself to your money. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get started on it, Jeff, can you give us a, a whistle-stop tour of your career and how, how you've arrived at That's this point? That's not possible. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally not possible. Um, oh, God. Um, I know when we said ask a question and Jeff would talk well, for half hour. But, um, I, I mean, I was, yeah. I, I was, you, you know, very brief. East London, uh, yeah. Very, uh, East, you, really, was I an East London Uda guest? Um, yeah, four by two from Acne. I was a skinhead and whatever. Um, mental about Scar and Bluebeat for a long time. Then got into the whole Bowie and Roxy thing, as did a lot of my generation. Uh, then I did the Rod Stewart thing and all that. But then life changed, you know, with Bowie and Roxy music. Did you know about Bowie before the famous Starman on Top of the Pops? Of course I did. Yeah, I know you did. Of course yeah. I did. Do you find it weird? I tell you, the first time I saw Roxy music, I was better dressed than Brian Ferry, honestly. I was, he was at the Cook's Ferry Inn and his boots were paint what, sprayed gold. Yeah, his boots were paint sprayed gold. Mine were actually made gold, so, you know. <laughs> <I> mean, like, <laughs> Make the measure gold boots? Yeah, from Stan the Man in Walthamstow. Terry, you remember him, didn't you? Yeah, yeah he used exactly. to make all the knee-length boots and all that. Platforms. Well, going back a bit there. So what year would that have been, Jeff? Uh, it was shortly after Gladstone resigned. Uh, I don't know, when was it? <laughs> <laughs> it th- this would have been in the early 70s. There was a really weird transitional period from kind of late suede that kind of merged into glam where suddenly, you, you know, the monogram blazers and the Prince of Wales and all that business went out the window and suddenly hair was a bit longer there were budgie jackets and all that, and then it was eye makeup, and you know, suddenly it was all, all things changing, which is part of what happens, isn't it, with music and fashion? And we well, did back then because I was always fascinated by that thing of like brickies wearing makeup and stuff, and I, I, um, fingernail polish and stuff, and walking <laughs> in a local. There was, I mean, I don't want to take over here, but um, there was a, it was always a thing. No, that I, I was, like your drill joke earlier. Yeah, that was good. good. That was it was very funny. There, mate. <laughs> but I always had a thing of like um, one of the local art men walking in the pub in Watford, and he let his missus know that he was in by putting on Benny and the Jets and the El- by Elton John, rather than just saying hello, love. What do you want to drink? He just put a tune on a lot of names in the gaff. That's what I admire about your generation. You know what I mean? <laughs> Thanks. That makes me feel good. Yeah. Anyway. So the Leighton Buzzards. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, um, uh, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I, actually, I mean, what really started the music thing was actually, I mean, obviously punk was the thing that got everything going. And 
I was starting to go around and see all the new bands and whatever. I can remember I saw Penetration at the Spooky Lady over at New Marshes and uh, there was me and David James who would later be in the buzzers of Modern Romance and the only other two punters there were two girls who had got all their punk tips, you know, out of the sun or whatever. They were dressed like, like St. Trinian's girls, but one of them had um, uh, shit written on her head <laughs> and the other one had fuck written on her cheek, you know. But, you know, so we watched Penetration and I, I, I weren't mad about them, so we left early. We didn't say goodnight to shithead or fuck face. We didn't do that. <laughs> um, um, <laughs> Memo went about the swearing, didn't we? I'm oh, sure oh, we did. Sorry, <laughs> I, did, I did actually get a text on the way here saying no swearing. I'm sorry. I'm, that's 98 percent of my sophisticated material gone. Um, sorry, but but actually, though, the gig that really changed it for me was seeing the original Damned at the Open Anchor. Um, I mean, I was a bit snotty about punk at the beginning. I didn't really want to know it. I was kind of, you know. Would you have been in 76, 77, Jeff? Uh, was it early 20s? Okay. Early 20s. Um, but, you know, the, to me, the notion of getting rid of my record collection and my wardrobe yeah. for a movement seemed bizarre. So I was quite – and also, it wasn't really an East London thing. Not really. You know, it was like the roots of punk were very kind of West London and art school and fashion-y, which was not – so it was slow getting to East London, really. But seeing the, the dam that night kind of changed it. All I wanted to do was start a band. So, you know, that that's where the late buzzers came out, out of, really, from that. How did, how did that start then? So did you not pick up a guitar by then or was writing or anything? Uh, nah, honestly, I hadn't – I mean – I lived with David James, who was a bass player. We knew other musicians and whatever. So it wasn't hard to get together, you know. Um, between the four of us, we knew three chords, and it, it was that story, really. Um, and at the beginning, we were very generically punk, you know, sounding like everyone else. But I think like most people, once you settle into it for a bit, other influences started to come out. And for me, it was what the Oople who <laughs> were like overwhelmingly messiah-like in my life, yeah. you know. Um, and they had a song out called Saturday Gigs. I don't know if anyone here is a Motley Hoople fan. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, great band. And, and you know, Ian Hunter wrote in Saturday Gigs what he was doing in 1969. And quite simply, it made me think about what I was doing in 1969, which was substantially different from what he was doing. <laughs> and that's literally where Saturday Night Beneath the Plastic Palm Trees came from. It was just that. It was like a repost to that song, really. That sounded serious, didn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so coming forward sort of to the modern day, um, we've got From Mohair Suits to Kinky Boots, a great title, but uh, where, where did it come from? My head... Obvious. Um, well, I mean, uh, I mean, the Buzzards' first album, the Buzzards actually, the Buzzards' only album was called uh, Jelly Deals to Record Deals. So it seemed like an appropriate, what's the word? I don't know. What's the right word? Uh, Title. Yeah, all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it was it's like revisiting the same theme a lot later on in my life, really. You, you know, but a little bit more up to date, taking on board other things that have happened to me since as I've 
tumbled headfirst into TV and film and things like that, none of which were ever planned and it all, you know what I mean? So, um, yeah, yeah, so that, that that's where that title came from. And how did it come about then, the, the writing of the book? I'm assuming someone someone approached you and... No. <laughs> well, you've done it yourself. Um, no He's one not cut you in, Stu. Um, I don't know. I'm not ready yet. No, I, 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 actually, like I I'm think, not ready acknowledgements anyway. But <laughs> like quite a lot of things, it was a lockdown conception. I mean, lockdown happened, and all my saucepanders were staying with the ex-wife, and they had a bit of a break out there, so they couldn't come home. So I was properly isolated, and um, you know we couldn't go out. And I can't tell you how excited I was and looking forward to it. Like all I, w- I was going to see this thing out by listening to music, watching films and reading books. I was so excited by it. And I, and for like about three and a half weeks, that was what I did. Because all, all my work had fallen off the edge of the universe, you know, like everyone's did. Um, and then about a month in, I went to see Mr. Singh at my local off-licence. And as I walked in, before I uttered a word, he put a baguette, a block of clack, cracker barrel and a bottle of Lafroy on the counter before I'd even asked for it. And I thought, this is not a good sign. (laughs) 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 He's cracked my lifestyle and I feel a little bit embarrassed. So I thought, actually, I need to get on with something. You know what I mean? I can't carry on like this. I need to have a bit of a change. So I started writing little stories, putting a few up on social media. People liked them. Um, And I I kept going like that, really. So I suppose, was it quite therapeutic or cathartic in in a way because it gave you something to do? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, absolutely. I mean, also, I'll say some of it started off like on Facebook as little stories. I mean, even getting feedback from people was a bit of communication because like, I thought I would manage very, very well by myself, but I realised very quickly I would become a deranged alcoholic, frankly. So, yeah, no, no, no. So it was, it was definitely therapeutic and it was very helpful. Yeah. It was fun to do as well, man, you know, because like – also, I mean, most of the work that you do in your life is quite considered. If you're in a band, you have to pursue the direction that the band is in. If you're writing a TV series, you have to work within the constraints of that TV series. Um, same with a film, you know what I mean? It's like for, for the first time in a long time, I just sat down and wrote what I fancied. I didn't really think about it at all. And like, you know, some people are sort of saying, like, you know, how did you really select all these stories? And this, well, I didn't. You know what I mean? Basically, it was just bollocks. It was just, no, it, it was what, you know, I thought, oh, I remember that. I'll write about that. I mean, ironically, I think if you read the whole thing together, you actually probably do get a reasonable idea of what I'm like or, and my life has been like. Um, but it really wasn't planned even remotely. I think what we should do is throw some random subjects at you, like that I know a little bit, and then we'll we'll God. talk. So, Jeff, for those who don't know, tell your Michael Flatley story. Oh. <laughs> should, should I read it? Hold on. Yeah, go on. Hold on. Hold on. He told me what story he wanted me to read, and yeah, it wasn't that one. Yeah, but that was a month one. ago. I don't even know what it, I'm It weren't that doing one. Hold on. So, hold on. Stuart, tell, while I'm looking for it, can you tell some more of your stunningly good grind jokes and drink? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I, ain't, I ain't had a wash for a day. How about that? Well, listen, right. are you there? Are we there? I've got, I've got it, yeah. Hold on, let's put the old uh, bins on. 
Listen, I'm unscripted. You're up there with your bloody stories, mate. We'd never have guessed you're unscripted. <laughs> I'm Dickens, me, mate. Dickens. <laughs> okay, here we go. Right, this is called John. I'm only river dancing. <laughs> I was once cajoled by a smooth-talking producer into taking a meeting with Michael Flatley. He of the jiggling around like a maniac to unlistenable diddly-dee music while looking like someone had super-glued his arms to his side. I probably shouldn't have gone, but I once wrote a song called I, 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 Moosey, so credibility issues were never really high in my thinking. (laughs) Flathead lived in a big old drum in Knightsbridge and the maid asked me to take my shoes off when I entered. That gave me the ump from the kickoff. What is the point of a carpet you cannot walk on? That is literally the only function the thing has to fulfil. Still looking around at the plush surroundings, I start thinking if he wants to do some kind of diddle-dee-dee sequel, the 4 by 2 from Acne could be just the man for the job. We were introduced and I couldn't help but notice what a tiny little fellow he was. You could sit him on a mantelpiece and he wouldn't stand out amongst the other bits and pieces like, you know what I mean? But that's by the by. Flathead started to talk and boy could he talk. He really liked the sound of his own obsons. Now, I'm hardly the silent moody type myself, but I could not get a word in edgewise. It was like he'd ingested the entire planet's Coke stash for breakfast. (laughs) So I sat back and let him bang on. Amongst the tsunami of verbiage heading my way, I did manage to decipher that he was done with a dancing and a prancing and wanted to reinvent himself. Bollocks, bangos a Ferrari, I thought. And it got worse. He wanted to make an action movie with himself as the star. <laughs> he talked at great length about what a great James Bond he'd have made. The fact that he was known for Irish dancing and could comfortably fit inside a matchbox, he did not view as any kind of disadvantage. (laughs) Now, there is an unwritten rule that meetings such as this run around an hour. But in his case, it was clearly unread as well. Flathead showed no signs of pausing for air as we hit the two-hour mark. The producer stood up and made his excuses. I got up to leave too. But Flathead gestured for me to sit back down as he hadn't told me about the film yet. I did as I was told, which left me wondering, who was the bigger cunt, him or me? (laughs) (laughs) Over the next hour, I learned that his dream was to start in a film based around the exploits of... Of Hugh Bulldog Drummond. Who? No, Hugh. A gentleman adventurer created by H.C. McNeil, who was very popular in the 30s. Apparently, the time was perfect to reboot the character. And as proof, Flathead mimed a bunch of fight scenes for my benefit right there in his opulent Knightsbridge front room. I sat there staring blankly as he kicked and punched the shit out of thin air. (laughs) It was like I'd fallen for a hole into some bizarre alternate universe, one where time and connections to reality no longer mattered. Maybe this was it. I was doomed to spend the rest of my life there, like Roundhog Day, but with some mental Irish dancing midget subbing for Andy McDowell. (laughs) I did escape eventually after some three hours and 15 minutes. 
With senses, ba- with senses battered, I mumbled that I'd see myself out. As I reached the door, I noticed a pair of shoes on the floor. Men's, slip-ons. Petite, expensive looking. The sacred footwear of Flatley. Probably handmade by fucking elves. <laughs> Without further ado, I had him away under my jacket and closed the door behind me. Small payback for what he'd put me through. Retrospectively, I should have kept them as a souvenir, but as I whistled my way back to Knightsbridge Station, full of my newfound freedom, I decided to lob them over a random garden. I smiled as I bade them farewell, but resisted the urge to see them off with a celebratory jig. I never heard another word from the producer or flathead. NB, that's the thing you put on the end of a story if you're a writer. I still don't even, I have no Actually, it's nota bene. But I don't know what that means. But anyway. In 2018, Michael Flatley starred in the spy thriller Blackbird, which he also wrote, produced, directed, and self-financed. It was released in 2022 and grossed €136,000 at the box office, which is probably just about enough to replace those fucking shoes on it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Do another one? No, yeah, no, do, yeah, do the next one straight All in. All right, Stuart told me. Can I have a talk straight in the mic, though? Sorry? Pick it up and record. Nick Dan, a little bit. Straight in the mic. Okay. Yeah. Only if I can have a swing of your beer, though. Yeah, cool. Thank you very much. After I japped in Modern Romance in 1982, I had notions of pursuing a solo career to make amends to the great British public, if nothing else. But I got caught up in legal problems with a record company and found myself twiddling my thumbs for the next 18 months while my funds were steadily channeled into my lawyer's new indoor cinema and loft extension. Should you ever find yourself overly encumbered by a surfeit of money, I can wholeheartedly recommend the British legal system to lighten your pecuniary load. A bored and restless dean is not a good thing, as anyone who knows me will surely testify. It usually ends in tears. I needed something to do, a diversion, if you will. The answer appeared to me as if by divine intervention. That's the almighty, not the deceased drag queen I would later work with. Whilst casually thumbing through a copy of the stage, someone had left lying around in a recording studio. An advert caught my eye. A nightclub in Spain was looking for a singer for the summer season. Somewhere deep inside my head, a smile began to form. After I left the band, I vowed to leave all things Latin American behind me. I had a lot of new directions I was eager to dive into and was done with all that percussion and trumpets malarkey. But this was a nightclub in Spain and summer was coming. I answered the advert, telling them I'd just left the band with a chain of its singles and would like nothing more than to be their cabaret artiste of choice, performing all my fabulous hits for the pleasure of their no-doubt exclusive clientele. To cut a long story short, I got the job. My more grounded friends, okay, one friend, did advise me that this was not perhaps the most credible move for an artist who still nurtured hopes of a solo career. But I wasn't listening. I thought it would be a bit of a laugh, something which retrospectively seems to have cast a deciding vote 
in more than a few of my major life decisions. At this point, I need to introduce another player in our story, Jim Preen, a.k.a. Jimbo. He was a talented musician who had fallen into owning a recording studio, the Red Shop in Islington, which for years was my second home as I tried out one idea after another. Jimbo was posh, well-educated and very funny. I was an idiot council flat gutter snipe. We were an odd couple with nothing in common but everything. The first time I met Jim, he was wearing a tatty striped blazer that looked like he found it in a skip. I asked him where he'd got it. I found it in a skip, he replied. <laughs> and our friendship was sealed. For years, Jimbo and I had a lot of fun together, be it skulking off the blues parties in Dalston in the early hours or pulling two posh Chelsea salts in the Zanzibar and driving round London with them perched on the back of his old white Merc sports, like a scene from a 60s movie. Jim didn't even moan when I painted Shave Nelson Mandela on the front window of his business premises. <laughs> you can see why I love the bloke. Anyway, I told Jimbo about Spain, and he immediately offered to accompany me as my sound engineer. What could possibly go wrong? As it turned out, everything. The Costa del Sol hotspot transpired to be Torre Molinos, and the nightclub was a bar with a small stage attached, which served as entertainment to timeshare apartment complex catering exclusively for Dutch people who look close to pegging it. And when I say pegging it, I mean dying, not the strap-on thing. <laughs> as open-minded as the Dutch are known to be. <laughs> she's, she's making up her own jokes, literally. <laughs> I put my positive tip for on. They had provided us with a great accommodation. The weather was beautiful and the old town served a decent, sex, a decent sexton blake. It's 30 minutes on stage a night. I can do it with my eyes closed. I'm a professional. A little backstory at this point. In my first band, The Late Buzzards, I had learned to do amenably with all manner of raucous audiences. Save perhaps for the one time a skinhead gobbed in the mouth of our bassist as we walked out on stage and I rammed him in the deuce and ace with the base of my mic stand by way of a considered response. In modern romance, things were very different. We had broken the band by driving around the country in a van and bombing into clubs, sometimes arranged, mostly not, and getting the DJ to play a backing tape of the Everybody Salsa 12-inch. I would sing and rap live while the boys in the band would play percussion and chuck out whistles and shit to the audience. This rent-a-party shtick never failed. Everyone went crazy. That's what got our first record into the charts. Way more fun than TikTok, everybody. After that, we played decent-sized gigs, mainly to infuse young women, which was easy-peasy and not at all unpleasant. In the US, we had a very different career and were super popular amongst black, Latino and gay crowds. They were sometimes a little taken aback to find the tunes they'd been dancing to were sung by a white 4 by 2 in a pink suit, but it always worked out. Performing at legendary spots like Paradise Garage and Bonds would be the highlight of that part of my life. Proper great days. So I was reasonably seasoned in coping with all sorts. A bunch of Dutch coffin sniffers would not intimidate me. <laughs> the first problem came in my support act. A corpulent middle-aged German geezer by the name of René Volker. He wore a dinner suit on stage and sang a carefully curated set of Tyrolean folk songs and Bavarian beer keller favourites. 
The crowd loved him. As he closed his set with a rousing chorus of Valderie, the old Dutch fuckers sung along the top, at the top of their old Dutch voices. They shouted for more, and Volker was only too pleased to oblige. He encored with Roll Out the Barrel, by which time I was definitely not having a barrel of fun. As Volker finally left the stage, you could hear the cheers and applause from the luggage reclaim at Malaga Airport. He aimed a smug grin in my direction, which was as close to a mic drop as the human face can manage. Now, I was performing to a backing tape of Modern Romantics and decided to attack the crowd full pelt, just like we did in the bad's early days. Except back then there were five of us, lubricated by alcohol, ambition and each other, itching to strut our stuff before a crowd our own age, eager to have a good time. Now I was alone, stone-cold sober, and facing a bunch of octogenarian Netherlanders. It was fucking misery. (laughs) Jumping up and down and trying to get this party started by yourself is a young man's game. A very stupid young man at that. The audience just sat there in abject silence. They did not know me nor my songs and neither did they want to. My confidence drained quicker than the dregs in a drunk's glass. By the time the first song finished, I was wishing I was anywhere else on God's green earth. 30 minutes may not seem very long, but inside that building on that night, Every second felt like a last lifetime. Worst of all were the long percussion breaks, which featured in every single tune. In the band, we'd bash away on cowbells, pull people up on the stage and generally clown around, clown around. Always worked a treat. Here, all I could do was dance around by myself. Now, I've always been happy to hit the dance floor on a night out, but I am no one's idea of a dancer. Least of all with a room full of oldsters staring coldly at me. I settled into the Jewish wedding one step, moving my feet from side to side like an uncle, wholly unfamiliar with the concept of rhythm. With each step, I died a little inside. Only a year and a half before, I'd been performing the same songs to huge adoring audiences in the US. How would it come to this? Oh, yes, I thought it would be a bit of a laugh. That's how. On the second night, half the audience left before I came on. They clearly had better things to do with their time, like putting their teeth in a glass of water (laughs) or emptying their colostomy bags. As Volker and I crossed on stage, he wore a sneer the width of an autobahn. On night three, the manager of the club informed me he was mixing, mixing things up a little. With only two acts at his disposal, that could mean only one thing. From now on, I would be the support act to René Volker. Oh, the ignominy of it all. As I stood there trying to process what had happened to my life, Volker strolled over and draped a heavy, condescending arm around my shoulder. No hard feelings, he said, <laughs> in an accent that Christopher Waltz would later adopt for his role as SS Officer Hans Lauder in Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> to be honest, there were quite a lot of hard feelings, and I'd have liked nothing more than punched him right in the kisser. <laughs> Valderie on that, you fat. German fellow. (laughs) See? No swearing. (laughs) It should have been motherfucker, but I never said it. (laughs) But discretion being the better part of valour, I resisted the urge and attempted to show some good grace, for the time being at least. 
On the fourth night, a minute or so into my set, the electricity went down. Even the Spanish power grid was against me. <laughs> no light, no sound. The oldies began to slowly shuffle towards the exit. The manager, seeing the night's bar takings go for a burden, began to panic. He turned to me and Jim and said, Do something, but what could we do? Cometh the hour, cometh the Jimbo. Seizing the moment, he jumped up on the bar to the tune of the Stars and Stripes Forever, a.k.a. Here We Go. He began to sing, Amsterdam, Amsterdam, Amsterdam. I leapt up alongside my friend and joined in, urging everyone to sing along, and they did. What's more, they were finally enjoying themselves. The whole place came alive and the bar did a roaring trade. Eventually, the chance started to die down. But fortunately, Jim knew his way around Holland. He followed up with a rousing rendition of Rotterdam, Rotterdam, Rotterdam. They loved that too. We had them in the palm of our hands. Next came Eindhoven, <laughs> which was a bit of a leap of faith, but still they sang. By the time we reached Maastricht, <laughs> we were a syllable short and starting to struggle. But suddenly the power came back on and a cheer went up. The manager came over, thanked us for saving the day and gifted us a free bar tab for the rest of the evening. A result of sorts. The next day, sunbathing around the pool, Jimbo and I reflected on the evening's events and I said it was a shame I'd signed a contract as I really couldn't face performing again and it would be great to bow out after our short-lived triumph. Fuck it, said Jimbo. Let's hire a car and drive to Marbella. But what about the contract, I replied. Fuck it, said Jimbo. Let's hire a car and drive to Marbella. <laughs> this was the kind of legal advice I could get behind. <laughs> Jimbo went off to sort the motor, and later that day we did a swift exit from our accommodation. Before we headed off down the coast, we had to stop off at the club to retrieve some bits and pieces I'd left in the dressing room. We stole in like thieves in the night, but fortunately there was no one around. We found the dressing room keys behind the bar and let ourselves in. As I collected my possessions, I could not fail to notice Rene Volker's stage tux hung neatly on a peg. Alongside, occupying a peg of their own, an enormous pair of white stage underpants. As if this were not temptation enough, on a nearby table sat a pair of scissors. Cutting the arsehole out of a fat German stage trousers may not have been my finest hour. But I never signed up to be a role model and he'd been asking for it all week. And it was Jimbo who half-inched his pants, not me, miss. As we sped along the A7 coastal road towards Port Abanoos with its yachts, girls and glamour, Jimbo produced the pants and tossed them out of the window. <laughs> The sea breeze caught them, and the last I saw, they were dancing around in the wind, more freely than they'd ever done when wrapped around Rene Volker. Like me, they had been liberated. Thank you. Thank you. So how did you manage to condense all your stories into just one book? Um, I literally just kept writing stories <laughs> until they said to me, like, you've got too many, stop now. 
And I still kept going. Volume two? I don't, I don't know, really. I'm not sure. I mean, they said to me, have you got another one? I said, yeah, it'll be just like the first one, only worse, because I've, <laughs> I've probably used all the best stuff. Um, no, I, I think I've, I've got a slightly different idea for, for them. I mean, there will be another book, yeah, because it's quite fun to do. Yeah, so I was going to say, you, you strike me as a man that, that likes to be busy, that doesn't like to sit still. So what what is True. next? Uh, well, okay, rather ridiculously, um, I mean... I started writing a song about 20-odd years ago. Um, <laughs> I'm normally a quick songwriter, but I couldn't get the chorus to it. Um, it's a, it was a kind of country-type song. Uh, but I went out to a festival at the Ozarks this year to see this sort of Roots American singer I like, and it, it was great. It was a really good thing. And I think inspired by all the people that I saw there, I came back and I finally finished the song. Um, yeah, only yeah, 22 years, literally. Um, so what I'd quite like to do once I've finished the promotion of this is I'd like to record it and I want to have a go at maybe taking it out to Nashville because they really need an East End Jew trying to sell them a song. <laughs> I was about to I say, think, Nick, are you I looking think. for another release there, mate, on the big <laughs> yeah, AC? Yeah, no, no, I, I quite fancy taking it out and see if I can, you, you know. And I, I think it'll be fun anyway, you know, trying to do it, even if... Get even, film, get someone out with a camera. Yeah, I mean, about. even if it's not successful, which it would be, I think. Uh, <laughs> but even if it's not, I think it'll be a fun thing to do. Yeah. So that's kind of the next thing that I'm matching. Couldn't anyone see Jeff on the Grand Old Opry? Yeah. 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 shaky up there, you know what I mean? Yeah. Shaking Stevens, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that one dipped, didn't it? <laughs> Carry on, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he, he never did get his beer back. You know. <laughs> um, so you've been doing various readings, I have. Um, yes, I different have. bookshops across across this part of the world and bars. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm quite enjoying it, really. Um, it, it's, I mean, it's not the same as being in a band, obviously. But I think one of the things that I do miss from uh, when I was writing for telly or film, as, as nice as bits of that was, was that direct link you have with people, you know, where you can actually tell if they like you or not. You know, if you've got something, you know, one of the great things about being in a group is like, you, you know, you can instantly tell if you've done something right and you can instantly tell if you've done something wrong. And I think it's, you know, and I, I always enjoyed that. I really like that direct thing with people because you, you can never quite suss people out. You never quite know. I don't care how clever you are. You never really quite know. So it's always um, an interesting, enjoyable thing to present whatever work you're doing out to people to see where you've got it right and where you might have gone wrong. And I'm really enjoying doing that again, you know, really, yeah. So has it exceeded your expectations? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I didn't think this this was a complete... This kind of thing that I'm doing now was a complete happenstance. That was not part of the plan at all. It was just write a book and get on with it. But, you know, I started doing one or two. And, you know, it was really nice getting to meet people and whatever and people clap you or say a shut up or ignore you. Do you know what I mean? It's it's a nice thing. And I, and I think it's really good for you. You know, I think it's good for you. When, when you're a creative person, um, it's not too good to be kind of locked away from people. You, you know, it's too easy to lose touch. And I think it's, you know, it's a very nice and it's a very, what's the word, grounding thing to actually see how your work's going down with people, you know? I mean, to be fair, like, look at, if someone was to look at your career on a bit of paper, <laughs> it's quite phenomenal what you've done. I mean, we haven't even touched on Kinky Boots, but... 
the way that that is now this sort of global brand almost, isn't it? Yeah. It's come from your brain. I know. Which great, I can't it? understand. <laughs> uh, listen. <laughs> but yeah, but Jeff. It makes, it makes less sense to me. Yeah, but I mean, how did that, uh, what, what's the, I know we ain't got all day, but just um, what, what Kenky Boots starting and where it is now, what's it for you? Well, I mean, it's, it's kind of a bit of a weird one because like with film, you, you, you know, with the best will in the world, it's a hugely collaborative thing. Whatever your input is, you don't really own it like you do a song or a story, you know what I mean? Because there's too many other bits and pieces, um, some of which you don't really like, to be quite honest with you, you, you know. Um, but, I mean, a lot of, I do know, you know, a lot of that came out of my head, hanging around the piano bar, you, you know, in Brewer Street, meeting all those people. Uh on a very late Saturday night when you've had far too much to drink and everywhere else was closed and working with Divine as well. I mean, all that went into it, you, you know. So, yeah, I mean, it was great. I mean, I can remember seeing it mentioned on the Gilmore Girls once, which is a TV show that I really like. And I'm like, fucking hell, you know. But there again, I also once saw 2,000 people congering to everybody's salsa in Ibiza and I, and I felt the same kind of thing then, you know what I mean? It's like... Oh, I've well done that. There you go. You know. It's a great... Um, well, just... just I love you, man. I love what you do. Thank you. Yeah. Can we go and get a beer now? Yeah, yeah. we can. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say... Yeah. Thank you all Stu's for your buying tolerance. everyone a drink. So. You've been listening to the Perpetual Motion Show. Thank you, all, everyone. We've done, are we, Joe? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, I was just going to say, before Jeff goes, um, obviously, a massive thank you. There are some books on sale up the back. Um a signed copy for someone for Christmas would be fantastic, I'm sure. And if they're anything to go by, those £9,000 each. Yeah. <laughs> but there is a gram of ketamine and a signature with everyone. <laughs> but The only yeah. way to travel. <laughs> so, yeah, all that remains really is to say thank you to Jeff, thank you to Nick, thank you to everyone for joining us, thank you for Dan uh, Jennings, who stepped in at the last yeah, minute. Cheers, Dan. And um, thank, thank you for Tom, who's going to have to edit this. Yeah, yeah good luck, Tom. <laughs> and the Nick, and the Nick. It was great. Yeah, Nick, yeah, cool, yeah. sure. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, playing us out, we're going to have Jazz yeah, and Dave. And all we'll have a group photo. Everyone get on stage, yeah? <laughs> right, thank cheers. you, everyone. Thank you.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. On Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.